Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this, this opportunity to look at the word and to have you guide us as to what we will see and on obedience and disobedience and just ask you to leave you in Jesus' name. Amen. And oh Lord, I just thank you for the prayer that you have been answering for me. Amen. 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 All right. Leviticus chapter 26. Verse 1. You shall make no idols, nor graven images, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. We're going to stop there because the next section is a whole other section. So. And I haven't got there yet. All right. And it says, it starts out with, you shall make no idols. And I... And I I actually looked into the Hebrew word for idols, and it starts with false god, which is what we all would think of, but it also means good for nothing, things <laughs> of naught. Okay? So if you want to expand your, you know, how many times do we in our day in a scientific day say, well, we don't worship idols, we don't bow down to idols? How much time do we spend wasting time? Doing things for not. And so, yes, I mean, we have our idols even in our day. And as I've said, most people have a great big idol in their room and all their chairs are turned to face it and they sit there and vegetate for hours on end watching the idiot box. And I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to watch TV, but if you spend all, a lot of time watching TV, you've got a problem. And they're telling us that you know our, our kids are watching six to eight hours a day of TV and we have a problem if that's happening. That's just wasted time. So not, is that how they come up with naughty? Uh, well, not means nothing, worthless. Nothing, nothing, worthless. N-A-U-G-H-T. Yeah. N-A-U-G-H-T. So, so naughty is the, a branch of that word. You know, it's useless, it's bad. See, that's one thing I'm glad. A long time I always thought an idol was a object until when you're playing and I, it really doesn't make sense now on anything that you put before God mm -hmm. is really idol. If God is not getting the full a attention. good part of your time, and, and I teach people, I literally will teach people, God wants a, a, a tithe of your time. You know, which means he wants 2.4 2 or 2.5 2 hours every day of your time. He wants 16.9 uh, hours a week. 16.8 uh, hours a week. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we need, we need to be getting into this idea. How much time do we give God? And, you know, for some people, they give a lot more than that. Other people, they would struggle to give that much. It's amazing in the, the, the old preachers in the early part of the Great Awakenings and, and in the medieval days, they go, there's going to be a time when people are, are going to get tired and won't put up with a three-hour service. Okay, and then they moved it back, and then they moved it back. You know, now we're getting to a time where people won't put up with a one-hour service in a lot of churches. They start looking at their watch at, you know, service started at 11. They're starting to look at their watch at 12, like uh, the guy's going too long. Thankfully, it doesn't happen here. But, I mean, I've seen it happen in churches where people are watching their, watching their time, you know. It's been too long. Yeah. I went to a church where you might get out by one o'clock sometimes uh, you know, on first service, on, on the morning service. Mm -hmm. And I taught Sunday school, which was a real pain in the neck because we were teaching kids at the same time the service was going on. And you were, you, service was supposed to get over at noon. 
Well, inevitably, if you weren't as prepared as you should have been, he'd go till one o'clock and you had to find ways to teach kids to, for an extra hour. And the more prepared you were, you know, oftentimes it would go, he'd get done at, at noon, you know, so, but you always had to be prepared. And the key to this is what's important in our life, an idol is something that takes the place of God, anything that takes the place of God. It could be a hobby that takes the place of God. And so this is important, no idols, nothing that is worthless. And this is where we wanna be careful of how much time do we just spend wasted. And it's so easy for us in our day and age to waste. There's people who waste their time on Facebook and Twitter and their computers browsing for hours on end. They're not watching the TV, but they're still wasting time, you know. Playing games. Playing, game, playing games is a big thing for, for a lot of, especially young men, you know, playing their video games. I know an old lady, a member <laughs> of this church, that spends hours mm -hmm. playing games. Yeah, there's that too. I know one too. She'll shoot me if I tell you her name. That's okay, we don't need to know. But this is this is where we're at in our day and age. It's so easy to waste our life away. And That's what I uh, I committed to myself, and I'm doing really good. I figure I got to do all my reading, and then I have all my scriptures on my email. Mm -hmm. I said I got to do that before I even go on Facebook, and now then after I get all done, I don't feel like going on Facebook because it's too yeah. late then. So, and that's, I'm and that's not good. saying I will default, but I'm doing good. And, and this is where we want to be careful. No idols before God. Nothing that is worthless before God. And it doesn't mean that Facebook is wrong or TV is wrong or games are wrong, but using them to the place where they replace God in our day is bad. And so often you'll hear somebody, well, I didn't have time to study. I didn't have time to pray. Well, how long were you, how much TV were you watching? How much time did you put on Facebook? Well, uh, you know, okay, don't tell me you don't have time. You know, and this is something that I've, I'm guilty of myself at times. Where I get, done, get to the end of the day and realize that I have not, not read my Bible or something because I got wrapped up in the morning and then I did some things that wasted time. I mean, I'm as guilty as everybody else to do, of doing it. And God is saying... Don't do this. You know, don't do this. And, I, and, I, and I've told you all, if I don't read my Bible first thing in the morning, like I encourage everybody else, and there's times I don't, because somebody needs a, you know, a ride, or this happens, or that happens, or whatever, whatever, whatever goes on, and all of a sudden I realize I'm at the end of my day, and, and it just hasn't happened. You know, if my schedule gets messed up in the morning, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and... You know, but we've got to. And then it says no graven image, and that would be carved or carved. Or you shall not rear up any standing image. And Isaiah, I've been reading Isaiah, and it's interesting, you know, because Isaiah's got these really funny vignettes where you go out to the, he goes, you go out to the forest, you chop down a tree, you, you, with part of the wood you make your fire, uh, part of the wood you, wood you make uh, idol, and then you stand it up and you pin it up so it doesn't fall down. Okay, and... So you've got this whole thing of standing up the idols. You know, and the idols have to be stand, stood up and then they have to be stationary somehow. You know, you, they have to be kept standing. And, and then it says, and you shall not set up any image of stone in your land or bow down to it for I am your God. 
God does not want us worshiping anything else. Uh, I've gone into some people's houses, and I know they've got them up for the right reasons, but there'll be pictures of Jesus and crosses everywhere in their house. And you look at it and you say, okay, is this good or bad? In most cases, it's good. It's okay. They're not, they don't mean anything. Other people are actually using them to focus their worship, which is not good because God is telling them not to do that. Uh, well, don't come to my house. Anyway. <laughs> you too? Well, it could be a reminder to pray or, or to don't forget to read your Bible. Yeah, and, and like Lynn says, some of it could be reminders and stuff. So Mine is just showing the custom. And that's good. That's a good place. I have that up in my shop. Be strong in the Lord. <laughs> but, uh, and you've got some people that use them as idols. You know, that happens. So there's all these things that go on. And this is, and keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary for I am the Lord. And this one is keep, guard the Sabbath. And I want to bring this up because you, you're, we, we all know that there are people here, you know, around us that say you've got to worship on Saturday. And if you're not worshiping on Saturday, you're all wrong. If you're going to find yourself under the law, then yes, you better be worshiping on Saturday because Saturday is the Sabbath. But we are free of the law. Jesus fulfilled all the law and he has done it. And the only ones that were ever commanded to keep the Sabbath were the Israelites. Okay, God did not put that on anybody else to keep the Sabbath. And so if you want to be bound under the law, then you better worship on Saturday and, 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 and do all that. But we're not under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. And again, it, we've talked many times about that. It's not saying the law was worthless. It just means that we're not bound up by the law. The new covenant. We're under the new covenant. And it says, reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. All right, verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees shall yield forth their fruit, and your threshing shall be reached unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely, and I will give you peace, give peace to, in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, and I will rid the evil beasts out of your land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, a hundred shall chase ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And you will have respect unto, and I will have respect unto you, and take you and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their bondmen. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. So there's a lot of blessings and we're going to cover some this, this long list of blessings that God says. It says, if you keep my statutes and my commandments to do them. Uh, now, does anybody remember what, the, what they said at Mount Sinai when Moses first brought down the, the commandments? It was a long time ago in the book of Exodus. Um, they said, you know, um, they gave the Ten Commandments. He said that, uh, <clears throat> who made this calf? No, no, what the, people said, not what the people said to Moses when he gave them their rules. He said, they said, we will be careful to obey all 
that has been spoken. So, and even then it was like there was no way because we all know you cannot keep the law and yet the people said we're going to keep all your laws. And here God is saying if you keep my commandments and my statutes I've got blessings for you. He's given them every incentive to be obedient. Okay, and we're going to and then the second half of this book, he's going to give them every incentive to be obedient from the negative side, telling them what will happen if they don't obey. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we start out, he goes in verse 4, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees shall yield their fruit. Rain in due season is very important to farmers. If you've ever been around farmers, they expect the rain early in the spring and through the through the through this growing season and the last thing they want is rain during the time of harvest and it's amazing that the way the weather patterns normally work they get to have no rain during the harvest time and uh, so it's so we want to be able to look at this God is saying if you are obedient to me the rain will be in its proper times It'll rain when it's supposed to, when you want the crops to grow, and when it's time to harvest it, it will be dry. My dad used to talk about harvesting, harvesting the, the hay in the, in the Sacramento Valley and up around Petaluma. And he goes, if it rained, they couldn't harvest the hay because if you bundled the hay wet, it had this habit of igniting, self-igniting on fire. So you couldn't harvest it. If it rained, you couldn't harvest it. Because of the buildup, because of the buildup of all the gases and stuff that can spontaneously combust. But, and 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 if you have a muddy field, it's harder to harvest as well because you've got to walk through and cut. And and if you're going to have a have a grain that has chafe, you need it to be dry so that it will blow away and not just be hard to get out of your grain. So this rain in due season. I mean, we we as in a in our day and age where we don't do much farming, we just look at that and say, oh, well, big deal. But this to them was a huge promise. You're going to have the rain at the right time. You're going to have it so that it'll grow and you're going to not have it when it's harvest time. Where just before harvest and when you're ready to harvest it won't be raining. And then it says the land shall yield her increase and the trees shall yield their fruit. Okay? So he's saying I'm going to bless you. Everything is going to produce. And again, the whole idea is when you plant your field you expect to get a good return. Uh, you, you plant your seed, you expect, expect to get a lot of return back on it. You plant your, your, your fruit and you expect to have a whole tree, to get, you know, one tree that's going to give you a bushel or two of, of fruit. Uh, you plant your grain, that one seed, you're hoping for a whole bunch of stocks of, you know, you plant your corn, you're not expecting to get one, one piece of corn back. <laughs> Uh, you want more than one ear of corn on that stock. You know, you want you want a stock that is covered <laughs> with ears of corn. You know, like almost trying to make it fall over. You know, it's uh, and he's saying you're going to get that if you're obeying me. I'm going to give that to you. Verse five. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time. And this is your threshing as you take your wheat and you start harvesting. You're going to have enough wheat to thresh until it's time to go get the grapes. And you're going to have enough grapes to go until it's time to reap the next crop. So he's saying you will have more than enough food. You're going to be kept busy. What vintage? Vintage is grapes. Oh, 
crop, crop of grapes. Huh? Um, well, it is all about time here. Uh, it's a time of gathering. It's a crop of grape as your vintage. And then it's referred to wine when it's turned into wine. Yeah. Um, and you shall eat your bread to full, and you shall dwell in safe, uh, safety. So he's saying, you're going you're gonna to have plenty of food growing. You're going to have plenty of bread. You're going to be full. Uh, and this literally means to be satiated, you know, to, to be pleasantly full. And he says, and you will be safe. I will give peace to the land when you will lie down, and none shall, be, shall make you afraid, you know, so that you're at peace. Yeah. One of the things in America, for us especially, is we've generally been in peace. Uh, we're not afraid of any invaders coming in. If you live in the city, you might be afraid of gangs getting into your place. But for the most part in America, we, we live in relative safety. And few, you know, about 50 years ago, there was, you know, most people didn't even lock the doors, even in cities you know, of their houses. You know, it was because it was a safe place to be. And now, of course, we lock our doors and put bolts on them and chains on them and lock our cars and everything okay. else. So well, let's continue on verse yeah. 6. Okay, so, anyway, the safety. None, yeah. none shall make you afraid. And then he says, I will rid, you, rid evil beasts out of your land. And this is a promise God has made to them multiple times in Exodus. And he's going to make it here. He's going to make it in, in Numbers. He's, gonna, he's telling them that when you get to your land, I will drive out your enemies, including the wild animals. Now, for, for most of us, even here in Chloride, you really don't think a lot about wild animals, even though you, there's more wild animals here in Chloride. In my house, I never think about wild animals because I live far enough away from any field that, you know, they've got to go four or five blocks into the town before I have to worry about, about any wild animals. But wild animals can be a big deal when you're out in the country. No, they, I don't yeah. like <laughs> Well, we've got snakes. Yeah, we've got snakes. the mountain lions. You've got the, the wild mm -hmm. boar. You've got all kinds of different things in, in, in this area. And, and I've already been told, you know, in, in chloride, sometimes these wild beasts come. But God has promised his people when, if they honored him, that he would rid the wild, he would, the evil beasts, the ones that are going to cause the problems. And he says, and there will not be sword throughout your land, your, your enemies. So God has promised, number one, you're going to be able to grow your crops. You're going to be well fed. He's going to say, and your enemies are going to be dealt with. That's a pretty good thing. To, that's a good, just those two benefits are pretty good benefits. Okay. Plenty of food, no enemies, animal or human. But he goes on. He says, you shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you before you by the sword. So when you are in battle, you're going to be victorious. That was his promise to them. And they were. When, jo when, when Joshua brings the people into the Israel, into the promised land, they always won their battles except for Ai. And Ai, they lost because of sin in the camp that they didn't deal with. And when we get to Joshua, we'll talk about that. If, or if you need to, go into the first, first chapters and you'll find the battle of Ai very small town right after the Battle of Jericho. They, they, beat the, they beat this big city that there's no way they can beat. Then they go to this little city thinking they're going to take them with ease. And they get their butts kicked. And they, they go, why God? And he says there's sin in the camp because, because Achan stole gold from Jericho instead of giving it to, giving it to God, where, God's house. And you know, so... Achan, Achan was stoned, and he was Achan quite bad. Achan, Achan 
And his whole family, yes. And he says, and five of you shall chase a hundred, a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to fight, and your enemies shall fall before your sword. This is, this is talking about pretty good victory. You know, five people can chase off a hundred. You know, a hundred, uh, a hundred can beat ten thousand. Now, those are pretty good odds. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, five people to chase away 100 is pretty good. That's, that's 20, 20 people for each, for each one person going to battle. And then it goes to 100 chasing 10,000. That is 1,000, uh, 100 people being chased by each one person. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is saying you're going to be victorious. <laughs> you know, your, your enemies are not going to be able to stand before you. And we see that happening one time, you know, one time in the scriptures pretty much, and that is in Joshua, in Joshua's day. We see David who's honoring God, and he's victorious. We see Solomon. Solomon had a pretty easy, David had already conquered the place. Solomon just had to keep it. Uh, you see Hezekiah that does this. You see a number, a number of the kings of Israel, uh, Judah that follow God, and they're victorious. <laughs> and God's promise. They, followed, they obeyed. God, God gave them deliverance. And it says, and I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply and establish my covenant with you. So he says, and by the way, I will be with you. God will spend time with them and he will make them fruitful. He will make them multiply their their nation, their, their population. And it says, and you shall eat old stores and bring forth old because of the new. It says, basically your barns are going to be full. Your barns are going to be so full. You're going to be eating, you know, you're going to be eating the food, and it's going to and it's going to be good for a long time. And by the way, when the news comes in, you'll get rid of the old because there's new stuff to put in its place, and you and you won't have you won't know what to do with all the old food. My life, my you will be, you will still be eating the last year's harvest when the new comes in. Yeah. Yep. And then you'll get rid of whatever's left of the old because you got so much new room. coming to make room for the yeah, new. Yeah. Then it says to make room out to. To make room for the new. Yeah. And this is what God's saying. You are going to be, if you're following me, you're going to be blessed. And it says, I will set my tabernacle up and my soul shall, shall not abhor you. God literally abides with them. Abides with them and he's not going to be sickened by their presence. Abhor. That's a strong word. Abhor something. You, you're just so, it's disgusting to see. And he says, and I'm not going to be disgusted by you because you're following me. And he says, I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. He's reiterating who he is. But the, he says that a lot of times. He says this a lot because he's trying to remind yeah. them. Yeah, and it, it, the, all, the constant reminders here that God is giving them really shows us how easy it is, how easy it was for them to forget, but how easy is it for us to forget? How easy do we forget what we learn, what we read? Uh, and I, and you know, sometimes I, I keep repeating things because I want people to, to get it drilled down in their heads so they'll remember. I'm glad you do because I forget. And that's why I ask the questions. You know, remember, remember when we talked about this. What was, what did we talk to? Because I want people to remember. And I, I'm in the same way. But I just have an advantage. I've had 40 years of things being drilled into my head. <laughs> So then, and I used to forget just as much, and I still forget sometimes, you know, and God has to remind and remind. But these are promises that even when we obey, God blesses. 
He provides our food for us. He provides protection for us. He gets rid of our enemies when we are abiding in him and hiding in him. And he defends us from our enemies. He comes and dwells with us when we're in obedience. I'd be itching to say this online. Did you hear Dr. Robbie or whatever is Robbie this week about Doc, a friend of his named Moses mm. and his son. And they came to this other country where he was at to speak. You heard it? They beat him and his son until it was to, almost to death. And then they sent for the skinner to bring him there to skin them alive. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't find them. Finally, they let them go. And it took a long month for this man and his father, to, his son, to get well. Mm -hmm. And then he got well. He started packing up. And the people around said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going back. God sent him back. Mm -hmm. And they said, are you crazy? When he got back, they were all right there, all these people that wanted him dead for the speaking of the gospel. And he said, they looked at him and said, we're so glad you came back because we've offended your God and we're sorry. And he said, what do you mean? The tree they tied him to was the tree they sacrificed under and the tree that had been there longer than anyone could remember and God killed it. Now, big healthy tree, and because of that, they were. He, they're such a massive country that he wouldn't even mention what country it was. Yeah, but this is this is what happens. I mean, God will defend us, you know, and prepare people's hearts. I've told you the story about the pastor who went knocking on the door and got abused three or four times in a row, and then. Went one more time, you know, figuring, and all of a sudden he's pulling him, pulling him in, saying, "I knew you were coming." <laughs> you know, we never know what's going to happen when we're just faithful. I mean, our protection from God doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to us. Our blessing from God doesn't mean there's not going to be hard times, because God is in control. But it does mean that He's going to be faithful. He's going to keep us, and sometimes. Sometimes when we're abused by people and they watch the way we respond, it is just what turns them around to look at God. And we don't come back attacking them and they don't, they don't understand it. And the stories are out there, hundreds of stories. The one that Ravi Zachariah told that, you know, we hear these stories over and over and over again of how God blesses the, the person who gets abused by people, abused by people, and they still come back and show God's love. And all of a sudden that person or people in some cases get converted and so our job is just to be patiently showing the love of God and this is why I said we need to be prepared as a people we're, we're entering into the end times where we're going to start seeing persecution and suffering we need to get into the mindset of thank you God that you've decided that I was worthy of suffering for you because if we don't get to where we can have that mindset we're going to go, God, you're not worth following because I got hurt. And if we go that route, we're not going to be able to be of any use to, for Christianity. But if we go, God, thank you, just as the apostles did over and over again, just as Jeremiah and, Je and, and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all these people did, God, thank you for considering us worthy of suffering. 
I've always loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer to Nebuchadnezzar when he says, I'm going to throw you in, you know, throw you in the fire, uh, fiery oh, yeah, furnace, and, and who, can, who can deliver you from me? And their answer was, our God can deliver us, but whether he does or not, we will not bow down. Okay. I love we, that one too. We have to have yeah. that kind of confidence that when everything seems to be going against us, God can deliver us. He might deliver us. Mm -hmm. Or he might not deliver us. Either way, he is glorified. I always say on that, like you say, well, if he did, and there's a reason for it, so I, I learned from it. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing with Moses was that God sent him there in the first place, and God sent him back in the second place. Right. And he obeyed God's voice. Yeah. And in, in one of my favorite stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs about a father and son who are getting ready to be burned at the stake. And the father was the weak one. He's going, I'm not sure that I can handle this. And the son goes, well, we'll make a deal. Whoever goes first, when they see God, they can start singing and praising God. And because the son had the stronger faith, he went first. And in the middle of it, he raised his hands and started singing praises to God and strengthened his father, who then went to be burned. But he went with great faith because he'd seen his son, his son had seen God. So wow. we never know the power of, even though we are going to face even death, we don't know what it might mean to somebody. Uh, you know, we never know what it means. And we, we need to be praying for the strength from God to say, whatever comes, what ever comes I'm going to give you praise God because Romans 8:28 will always apply all things work together for good according to uh, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose all things work together for good even our death will work together for good even our pain can work together for good Paul and Silas beat in the in Philippi put into jail <laughs> In the middle of the night, after having been beat to, almost to death, they're singing praise to God. And they start a church from, from that, when God sends an earthquake, and the Philippian jailer and his family get saved, and their church is started out of that beating. Yes. Because they honored God and said, God, we're going to praise you. We don't know what, you know, we don't know what, you're, what is going to be for our good here, but you're going to praise you. Uh, you know, this is important. We need to truly believe that all things are, work together for good that all things are according to God's plan, that everything that happens to us, God knows. The more we believe these things, the easier time we will have in trials. And it, the less we believe those, the harder time we're going to have in trials because we're somehow thinking it's us that has to have the strength. And no, it's not us. He wants to crucify our flesh and say, it's going to be for, it's going to be for good. Something will happen. Uh, can't remember the name of the girl, but in Columbine, when they, when they were killing these people because they were Christians, they pointed the gun and said, deny the God. And she, in her testimony, went out across the world that she goes, I won't deny my God. You can kill me if you want. And they killed her. <laughs> but that was the testimony she had that went throughout the whole world <laughs> because she was killed because she was a Christian I at Columbine. I, that. I don't remember her name, but it's... You know, I remember something like that. Yeah. But these, these stories happen all the time, so you can hear multiple stories on that. For anything that's going to come our way, because it's so critical, and we are facing times that are going to get worse for Christians. And God says his blessings are here. Okay, in verse 14. But, and I've told you every time when you see those buts, something's changing, so 
But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do these commandments, and you, will, and you shall despise my statutes, and if your soul abhor my judgments, and if you will not do my commandments and you break my commandments, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, burning agu uh, that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat it. You shall, and I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursues. And you shall not, and you shall not yet for all this hearken unto me. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make ev make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees in the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, I will not hearken, and, and not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you, according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highway shall be desolate, and you shall not and if you will not be reformed by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then I will also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring the sword upon you and you shall be avenged for the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, 10 women will bake your bread in one other and you shall deliver you bread again by weight. And you shall eat and not be satisfied. And if you will not hearken at all unto me, but walk contrary unto me, I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And even I will chastise you seven times for your sins. And you shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. And will destroy your, I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast down your carcasses upon the carcasses of the idols. And my soul shall abhor you. I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries into desolation. I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. I will not, and I will bring the land in, into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen, and I will draw out the sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. So we're going to stop there at 33, because there's a... So if you notice, this is the exact opposite of the blessings. And so we look at this and he says, if you will not hearken, and this word literally in the Hebrew is listen to obey me and will not do my commandments, and if you despise my statutes, reject them, and your, and your soul abhor, and again, that's that strong word for hatred, that you, you think they're disgusting, you abhor my judgments, so will you not do all my commandments, but I will but you will break my covenant. And God made a covenant with his people. He was going to give them a land. He was going to protect them. He was going to make them fruitful and multiply. And he says, if you will do all these things, I will even appoint you a terror, dismay and terror. Okay? Before he said, if you follow him, you're going to be peaceful. Everything's going to be good. But now you're going to be in terror. And this is almost a psychological condition because he's, he's going to go on and say that you're going to be terror just because. And he says, and I will, and a consumption, and that literally there means something that just eats up everything, a wasting disease. The, 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 the crops that are planted will be 
disease, they, they're, 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 the fruit in their storehouses will get diseases like mildews and, and, and everything. And it says a burning ague, and this is kind of an interesting, interesting word. It, it means fits of shivers and shaking and fevers. Okay, so he's sending sicknesses to them. And he says that I will, and you shall be consumed and shall consume the eyes or, or totally destroy the eyes. You shall, and you shall have sorrow of heart. And it literally means pining. And if you've ever seen anybody pining for somebody, you know, they're, they're just so sorrowful that they're almost, you can, be, you can actually kill yourself with pining. You're so distraught at the loss of something. I've seen people do it with animals. I've seen people do it with family. You've seen it with them when they've lost their boyfriend or girlfriend or a fiance. They can pine away. And they just make their life miserable thinking about what they've lost. And they just totally ruin their life because of what they're doing. And that's what pining is. And it shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies will eat it. So he says, you're going you're gonna to plant your field, you're going to grow the food, and you're going to be taken out of the country, and your enemies get it. And we see this happening in Israel quite often through the, through the times of the kings when, and through the judges. If you read judges, it happens all the time where they're, they're, they rebel against God, and the enemy comes in and takes their land away from them for a, for a period. Or, or do, if they don't take the land, they at least put a tribute on them, a tax. And then they have to give them all their food. And so this is, this is just the start of what God says is going to happen when you disobey. Uh, he wants to get people's attention when they disobey. Then he says, I will set my face against you. And we talked about that. The idea of somebody setting their face against somebody. They're just so angry that every time they see that person, they're going to try to cause problems for them. We all have met or know somebody that's had somebody that set their face against another person you know, maybe against us even, you know, but every time they saw us, things were, you know, are they, they're going to make things bad for us. They're going to try to be difficult. Maybe we know people. Maybe you've got family members who are like that. Every time they see you, they want to make your life difficult because they're looking at you and saying, yeah, I'm just so angry. You've made me so mad. I'm going to make your life totally miserable. And this is what God's saying. You go, you want to go against me? I'll set my face against you. I'll make your life miserable. I can guarantee you the one person you don't want to have in your life, making your life miserable would be God. Amen. Um, and it says, if you, and then after all of this, he says, and, you're, and you shall be slain before your enemies, and, you, and, and, the, and they that hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when none pursue. Have you ever seen somebody that would try to run away when nobody's even there? I've actually seen somebody like that. They were so afraid of everything and everyone that they were always fleeing, you know, and I'm going, what, what's wrong? Well, they're going to come get me. I've got to get out of here really quick. I'm going, who's coming to get you? Everybody. You know, you know the shadow, you know, the, the shadow, you know, it's, you know, whatever it might be, they were afraid of everything. That is fear. And he's going, I'm going to make it that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to run away when nobody's there. And we see in many places in the battle when, when God says, stand still and watch. You know, there were many battles in the, in the king's days when they would say, God would say, stand still. And the next thing you know, the army is down there fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> uh, Gideon with, his, with the 300 
surrounded the enemy of, of uh, 30 or 40,000, I don't remember, but of many, many thousands of people. And they blowed the trumpets and grabbed, the, grabbed them and they start fighting each other. <laughs> you know, and Gideon and his 300 are just around the camp watching these guys fight each other. <laughs> uh, you know, they killed each other. And, and they're watching. You know, and there's numbers of stories where God, God has just said, stand still and watch. Stories of people hearing rumors that somebody else is coming and turn, turn away from, from Israel and go somewhere else. God can do it, but it's bad when he's saying, I'm going to do it to you. <laughs> You're going to be the one that is fearful of your own shadow. You're so, so afraid that you're running. And we, you know, like I say, we've all probably met at least one person in our lifetime who's afraid of just about everything. They're always thinking the worst. <laughs> you know, they're always thinking, you know, everything is bad. Everything is bad. Nothing is right. And it's really strange when it's somebody whose things are going good. <laughs> you know, things seem to be going good for their life, and they're worried about everything that bad that might happen. Right. And they ruin their present because they're so worried and fearful of what might happen and kind of running away from everything because they're just so worried that, well, you know, every, you know and I've heard it. Everything's been going good, so God's got to be turning things around and have everything bad for me. What a, what a terrible God you have if that's who you, what you believe. When God's blessing you, he's going to keep blessing you unless you turn away from him. He's going to keep blessing. Doesn't mean he's going to make you rich necessarily, but he's going to keep blessing. Why do we have this attitude of, if God's blessing me, it's got to turn around? It doesn't. We, could, we go forward and just wait. Now, if we sin and we go in the wrong direction and we're turning our back on God, then yes, we deserve what we're going to get. Maybe some things, maybe there'll be some trials. I mean, we look at Job and God, you know, God pointed out to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And, and Job had a pretty rough time for a while <laughs> for a test. He was a witness for the court, for, in the courts of heaven to show how faithful God's servant could be. And then God really blessed him after the trial. Yeah, well, we don't know how long his test was. It was well, long enough. It was long enough to lose everything. And then God gave him back more than he took away from him. And, but we don't want God to set our face against so it. We don't want to live in that fear. So, and then it says, verse 18, And if, another if, if you will not yet hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven more times for your sins. Okay, he says, If this wasn't enough, I'm going to keep going. If you won't repent... The purpose of God's discipline for us and the hard times in our life is to bring us back to him. He is not this crazy person who just likes hurting people. He, he, that is not God's purpose. And we've talked about this. We're getting, in Revelation, we're going to be talking about the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation period is not designed to punish mankind. It is designed to bring people to God. Like to, you want to he wants to see the error of your ways and make a change. That's correct. He wants you to say, okay, I've been doing wrong. I need to come back to God. This country has been greatly blessed because we started on the right foundation of God. And if you read the, hist the, the founding fathers, they all stated that this country was founded not on the Constitution of the United States, but on the Christian morals that the country was built, built on. Democracies will not work, and republics will not work on any other foundation than the Christian moral ethic that says 
you do good to other people. And it has been shown everywhere that we've tried to export democracies, if they don't have the foundation of truth and honesty and, and caring for others, democracies are terrible. And we've seen them everywhere. Any place, any place where corruption rules, democracies won't work. And the further we're getting away from God's moral standards in our country, the more we're seeing our democracy fall, our, our republic fall apart because we are no longer based upon God's rules. And it's amazing in the business world. We, they they want to say that there's no absolute rules, but then they, get, then they get burned in the business world and say, how can somebody do this to us? Well, because you told them there's no, no right and wrong. If there's no right and wrong, then whoever's strongest will do what it takes to abuse others. And this is why without God, there's no, you know, if you don't want to have God in your life, then don't complain about all the bad things that are happening to you because whoever's strong is going to rule. Without God, there, there is no desire to do right to somebody else. And this is the big problem. This is the problem that we face as people are getting more and more into evolution and human hum, and and uh, the right of the of the strong and there is no right and wrong well that just means whoever's strongest gets to make the rules and if there's no rules by god then whoever's strongest gets to make the rules hitler was a great example of this he totally believed in evolution and the rights of the aryan race to be stronger than everybody else and he unfortunately had enough military power and and willingness to use it that he killed millions of people not just in the battles, but he tried to kill the Jews and the gypsies and many Christians and you know, he butchered millions of people with his whole idea of I'm stronger than everybody else and I can get away with it. And we've seen it through many dictators. I'm stronger than everybody else. My rule is going to be what stands. Why? Because they didn't recognize a God who says there's rules. And as long as you don't recognize a God that says there's rules, you're going to have problems. You'll steal from each other. You'll take from each other. Uh, you know, our government steals from people all the time. You know, in the form of taxes, eminent domain, telling them how they can use their property. I mean, they're trying to tell us now, you know, you know we're not technically stealing your property, but we're going to tell you what you can and can't do with it. Which you might as well steal it, because if I'm going to build a farm and you tell me I can't farm, then you know, you've, you've destroyed my land. So without God's rules, <laughs> anything goes. And this is why God says, if you want to disobey my rules, here's what I'm going to do back to you. And we see this happening. We're seeing it happening in our country. We're seeing it happening around the world. We violate God's rules. And he says, okay, here you go. And our country's becoming a mess. The world is becoming a mess. We're getting away from God's rules and the world is becoming a mess. We're entering into the end days and we're disobeying all of God's rules. And here we are. He says, he says here you go, I'm going to give you these and if you don't pay attention, I'm going, to, I'm going to increase it seven times. And it says here, verse 19, I will break your, the pride of your power and I will make heaven as iron and your earth as brass. This is pretty figurative language, but he's saying, your, your air is going to be heavy. Your earth is not, your land is not going to produce for you. He says, I'm going to make things very difficult. You've been disobedient. It's going to keep getting worse. It says, and your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. So he says, you're going to plant, and you're not going to harvest. 
or you're not going to harvest enough. And this has been interesting as we see, even in America, how many droughts do we have? How much destruction of our fields we're having? We're starting to drift away from God, and God is sending judgment on this, on this country. He's trying to get the country to turn, and we're not responding right as a whole. And this is why it starts in the church. We need to repent in the church and turn to God, and we need to turn to others and get them to turn to God and go forward. Because if it doesn't start in the church, there's no hope. And frankly, where we are in our country is mostly because of the church's fault, because they backed off from giving out the gospel and, and pushing. They let themselves be pushed out of the, of the, of the marketplace, out of the world. And, and now it may be too late for us to be able to, but I'm not going to hold up that defeat because we still have a chance because we have prayer on our side. We need to repent. We need to turn. We need to turn to God and start being blessed so that we can then reach out to the, to the rest of the world. It will not be easy. And this country's already had two great awakenings. And we've talked about this in the past. We had a great awakening in the, in the 16, late 1600s with uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and those, and those guys that brought this country <coughs> back to spirituality. And in the 1800s, we had a great awakening that turned this country around. And there was no really great leader in the Second Great Awakening. The, it started from prayer. It started in Massachusetts and worked its way out. And the Second Great Awakening was quite interesting because so many people would get saved that the bars would close down, the brothels would close down, not because they made rules against these things, but because God swept the town and brought his morality back to people when they turned to Christ. This is the power of it, the power of a good revival. And they were getting saved and their lives were being changed. And so the bars were closed down, not because anybody made a rule saying you can't have a bar, but if you don't have customers, right. <laughs> you don't stay open. Yeah. Uh, so this is what we, we do as a church. We give the gospel. We get people saved. And we, we pray for people. And we bring the gospel out there. The gospel, the simple truth. We, do, we are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus died for that punishment and asked him to come into our hearts. The gospel. And that will change people's hearts. When they get saved, their life will change. They become a new creation and be changed. And it says, your strength will be spent, uh, excuse me, verse 21. And if you walk contrary unto me, so you continue, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven more plagues upon you according to you. So God's saying, again, he's bringing out this. Here's your chances. But if you want to continue walking contrary, I'm going to bring more plagues on you. And this is where we are in our country. It's called a, called a, called a cycle. You, you, you start out righteous, you start disobeying God, and then you end up being judged, and then you come to a place where you either repent or you're destroyed. And each one of us as individuals go through this, and nations go through this. If you're walking with God and you're disobedient, you're going to find everything going wrong in your life, and you can come to a place where you have a choice. Repent or have more judgment. Repent or have more judgment and keep going until God says finally, okay, fine. You don't want to repent. I'll just kill you and take you home. That's the, that's the last one. But he's going to give you many chances to repent. And already here he's given twice now. He said, you, you, if you don't repent and you continue doing what you're doing, I'm going to give you seven more plagues. And seven is the number for complete completion. So they're going to be very strong 
strong ones. Verse 22, and I will send wild beasts among you. Remember, if you obeyed, he took the wild beasts away. Otherwise, he sent them. They will rob you of your children and destroy your cattle and make you few in number and your highways will be desolate. So not only are you going to have all these, these your, your, your farms aren't going to produce, your, your, your grain's going to be mildewed away, you're going to have all these troubles, but by the way, I'm going to send, you know, you, you're going to have enemies, and by the way, I'll just send some wild animals in there to help out as well. Uh, you know, just, just little problems that you have to deal with. And, and it says, and if you will not be reformed by me by these things and will walk contrary, then I will walk contrary to you and will punish you yet seven more times. I will bring the sword and you, that, that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And you shall be gathered together in your cities, and I will send pestilence amongst you, and you shall be delivered into your enemies' hands. <laughs> you know, even when you hide in the cities, you're not going to get away from the trouble. You're going to have pestilence. You know, and that can be anything from diseases to just violence in the city. When you put a lot of sinners together in a, in a, in a confined area, you have problems. And it's been amazing. All through history, it's always been this case. We can get along out in the country when we're not side by side, but the more people you shove into a confined area, the more trouble you have. It's, a, it's been shown, psychological studies have shown it, and the more you can find sinners together, they will cause problems for each other. And he says, so even in your cities, you're gonna have problems. And, and we see it, and we, all, and we all know it because there's more trouble and violence in cities than there are in a small town, and then if you get out into the rural communities, there's even less violence. Not that there's none, but the more people you pack into a tight space, the more likely they're gonna get on each other's nerves, the more likely their sin is gonna strike out at one another, and the more likely they are, the strong are going to try to rule. And so, and that's told us by God. He told us right there, and he says, when your staff is broken, your bread, 10 women shall bake bread in one oven, and they shall deliver your bread, and you shall not be satiated. You shall not be full. You will be hungry. And this happens so often. When things start going bad, you end up going hungry and not being full. That's why I guess I'm not hungry anymore because I'm not bad. Before I was hungry, I was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you, God. I know I'm in good stuff, so I'm not hungry. <laughs> and there is that. There may be part of that too. That God satiates you with that. less food. God may yeah. satiate you with less food as well. So, but when you're following God, everything so much seems to go right. So much seems to go right. God, is there anything I can do to be better? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always pray, like, please. I said, the only hungry I want to be is hungry for your word, not your food, because I don't need it. And we're going to stop here at verse 26. <laughs> So, but our goal is God still to this day punishes when evil and rewards obedience. And it's, the obedience is not to get him to like us more or anything. He wants us to be good stewards of him. He wants us to be great light for him. He wants us to live in a way that says to people, there's value in following God. And there's punishment for not following God. And we want to be able to understand that. I am not good because God says you need to be good to get blessed. No, I'm following God because he is living in me and because he's crucifying my flesh, I live more like him because he's living out of me. 
If, it's in, if I'm trying to be obedient, it's not going to work anyway. Now, it's better than being bad, but it's not going to be a true light. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to just share you with each other and, and, and just learn what you would have for us to do. We thank you. We ask you to go with us. Help us to be a bright light shining in the darkness for you and bring out the gospel in your son's name. Amen. Amen.